This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Good morning. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Schweitzer, and it's my joy to be with you today. Wasn't the band really awesome this morning already? Let's give it up for how they led us in some ways. Thank you. Um, today we're, we're looking at Paul and the road ahead. We're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul for, for several weeks and uh, kind of what God was doing in his own life and then how God is stirring up and active in our life. That's kind of the, the window and mirror kind of work that we're going to be doing here with the Apostle Paul. And so today we're going to be talking about the church in, in Antioch and what kind of church is developed there. But before we get there, um, last week in this service and, and uh we listened to Jake, and Jake talked to us about how, how Paul came to this place in his life where he had this vision of, of Jesus, a profound vision of Jesus, and it began to shape who he was, and, and everything that was just consuming him was consumed with the person of Jesus. And so then he, he was in Damascus. He had the vision of Jesus on, on the road to Damascus, went to Damascus. He began to preach and share and teach in, in Damascus about what he saw on the road, about person of Christ he saw. And then he has this epic moment in Damascus when he has to leave Damascus because the people who were expecting him to say one thing heard him say something totally different. Their world kind of blew up in that moment. And before long, there was an arrest warrant out for Paul's life. And so Paul fled Damascus, was actually had to escape out of a, out of a rope and a basket out of the city, got on the road on the night train, and he headed back toward Jerusalem. So he gets back to Jerusalem, and, uh, and people there are kind of wondering about him. They wonder about who Paul is, because they've known who he was. He was widely known throughout Jerusalem as somebody who was going to breathe stuff, breathing threats against the Christians, the followers of Jesus. And so they are uh, timid toward him. Timid is, is probably the, the least likely word you can say ab- about it. They are very standoffish and hidden from Paul. And yet he finds his way in, and he begins to just sort of tell his story. Tells his story about what he saw and who he encountered on the road to Damascus, about what Christ has said to him and what Christ means to the world. And people, again, for a while they listen, but then uh, warrants come again for Paul's life. And before long, there's a passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 9, Let's go to Acts 9. Sorry, Kathy, I'm messing up the slides, but just hang with me. Acts 9, when the believers in Jerusalem heard about the threats and the warrants that were put out for Paul, they took him down to Caesarea, which is around where Tel Aviv is today on the seacoast, and they sent him away to Tarsus, which is north, to his hometown. And as they sent him away, the church had peace. Now, um, it's interesting how Paul, his passion for Christ, stirred up all kinds of activity. And yet, at the same time, it stirred up all kinds of anxiety in Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem was in a tizzy until Paul was sent away. And he stayed in Tarsus, his hometown, for 14 years. 14 years in the midst of of what many of us would call the prime of his life. For 14 years, he goes into silence. Uh, today, Jordy Nelson, 
We've got, we got Jordy Nelson's picture. There you go. Jordy Nelson now is a great receiver for the Green Bay Packers, right? And today he's not going to get to play against the Dallas Cowboys because he got hurt last week. But his, his absence is stunning to the team in Green Bay. Last year he, was, he wasn't able to play at all. He was out for the entire season. And they did not have a, a good run. They just didn't click because Aaron Rodgers needed a partner. He needed that partner of Jordy Nelson. And Nelson was not there. Jordy Nelson is sidelined for today. Paul was sidelined for 14 years. There are a number of us from time to time that feel like we get sidelined. Sometimes we get sidelined in, in a moment in a, for a few weeks, but sometimes we feel like we're sidelined for a long season of life. And we wonder, we wonder if the things that are before us, the things that we do every day, are things that matter. Um, thinking about it being on the sidelines one way, another picture, a picture that, that's a metaphor that's, that runs throughout all of Scripture is like going into the desert. And we found this picture, which reminded some of us of Forrest Gump. Doesn't that road look like you just expect Forrest to be running on that road, right? Um, but you go into the desert, and you're on a road, and you're not really sure how long this road is going to be. I was just up in a Sunday school class, and they were talking about the task of being a homemaker because somebody had, had talked about how the Holy Spirit was kind of like a homemaker in, in the Old Testament. But talking about the task of being a homemaker and how sometimes you can just be in that task and you carry it for so long and you wonder, what's the significance that's happening in this place? Or maybe it's a job. Maybe you've, you've been in the midst of a job for a really long time and you you don't sense that you have the passion that you once used to, and you don't really know what the future holds. I just wonder what Paul was thinking year after year after year of living in Tarsus. Like, I've had this vision of who Jesus is, and this burden has been placed on my shoulder. I know that there's this burden, but I don't know when it's going to come into fruition. College students sometimes get this. High school seniors get this, right? They call it senioritis. It's like, what next is there for me to take? What's the next step? Well, it's interesting that in Scripture, God has a way of using the desert places, the sideline places, to really do a work on the interior of our lives, to speak to our own egos, to our own sense of self, to our own sense of, of calling. And he uses those sideline places, those desert places, to shape us, to bring humility close to us. And even while we're sometimes on the sidelines or in the desert, God is always at work. He remains active in the world. He you see, he's, he's passionate about this world, and he wants us, he wants you and me to be people that he can use, certainly. But while he takes his time to do his work within us, he remains active in the rest of the world because God is, well, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere, he's active everywhere. 
And so even while Paul's in Tarsus, he begins to be at work. God begins to do a new work in the city of Antioch. Now, Antioch is, a, in the time of Paul, time of the scriptures, Antioch's probably the third largest city in, in all of the Roman world. It's a cosmopolitan city. Um, we've got a picture of Shanghai, I think. Shanghai's a, a cosmopolitan city, right? We think of that. Well, that's the kind of uh, world we, we need to have before us. When we think about the city of Antioch, what it was like at the time when we read about it in scriptures. Uh, lots of business, lots of trade. Lots of different people with different languages were living in and, and around Antioch. People were coming in and, and moving out of Antioch. Just about every language that was spoken in the known world could have been found at some place within the city of Antioch. I was thinking about um, like Chicago or, or, or even, I mean, Shanghai is a good one. Back in the 1920s and 30s and 40s, there were 12 different countries of the world who, who oversaw different sections of the city of Shanghai. You want to think about different languages, different culture, different food, everything kind of congealing in that one spot. That was Antioch. Well, God began to work in the city of Antioch. One of the, one of the um, people groups that were there was a, what we call the diaspora of uh, people who were Jews who had fled from Jerusalem to Antioch because it was a safe place, because, in fact, it was cosmopolitan. And with that, that diaspora present, God began to send his message about who Jesus was. So we're going to start, if you've got a Bible or if you've got the Schweitzer Bible app, we'd encourage you to go there. We're going to start in Acts chapter 11, and we're going to hear these, read these words together. Meanwhile, this is Acts eleven nineteen. The believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. And they preached the word of God, but only to Jews. Then, however, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. And the power of the Lord was with them. And a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. One of the things we're going to look at over the course of this reading of text is um, the characteristics of the church in Antioch. And as we open up that story, as we begin to engage with the city of Antioch, one of the things that we see is that they were people who um, were experiencing the spirit of God leading, and people began to follow. Um, In those first couple verses... One of the things we notice is that God sends prophets and people came. Now, the prophets weren't named. The people who showed up weren't named. But God was sending people to talk about who Jesus was. And there were people in that place who heard the story of Jesus and they began to respond. So they began to gather in clusters or in congregations, something like this. They're like, tell us more about who Jesus is because we want to hear about him. And so that's one of the marks, the The Spirit was out in front. God was taking action, and God is always taking action. And when people heard about what God was up to, they began to say, how can we follow? And so um, they began to gather and began to work. So let's go on to the next reading of Scripture. Here's the next couple of verses. This is verse 21 through 26. When the church at Jerusalem heard what was happening in Antioch, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy 
and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went out to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. And so here's one of the, the next elements, a couple next elements that we see beginning to take place. Um, first off, there's a culture of developing leaders. When the church in Jerusalem began to hear that there was this stirring, this buzzing in Antioch, they decided that they needed to send somebody to go investigate what God was up to. Now, before we ever get to Acts 11, there's a story about Peter hanging out at, at a guy by the name of Cornelius' house and the spirit working in Cornelius' house, and it surprised the church in Jerusalem. And so when they hear the story about what's happening in Antioch, they're surprised as well. And so they find somebody like Barnabas who speaks many languages because he's from the island of Cyprus. They send Barnabas up to Antioch, and he hears, and he, he just in, hears the story of what's happening, and he begins to encourage the people that are there. And so there's this leadership development thing because Barnabas realizes, I need some help in what's taking place. And Barnabas, who had been an encourager of Saul or Paul, who had been somebody who had taken Paul to meet Peter, had brokered that arrangement, says, you know what? I know there's this guy who's been kind of quiet and hidden, but he's got a lot of skills, and he's got this sense of burden and calling from the Lord. I'm going to go find him. And so Barnabas takes off, and he goes, and he finds Saul somewhere in the neighborhood of Tarsus, and he brings him back to Antioch. And what happens in that place is they begin to teach. And this is one of the other marks. There's a couple different marks of things happening here. There's the, march, the mark of teaching the gospel talking about who God is, the very nature of God, the very nature of Jesus, and how Jesus reflects all of what God the Father's up to and how Jesus taught us to live. So they begin to teach about Jesus. And in the midst of that, they begin to develop other leaders who can do the same. And we're going to see some of those in, in a moment. So that takes place. And then they continue to welcome other prophets, other people. So here's the next part of the story. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one, one of the prophets was named Agabus. He stood up in one of the meetings, and he predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming on the entire Roman world. Now, this was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius, who was, who was a Roman ruler. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. This they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. So imagine, imagine this, that a prophet would come through one day. And a prophet says, I've seen a vision. There's going to be a famine. We need to get ready for it. The people who were gathered at the church in Antioch heard that. And they had heard about how God asks us, invites us to care for people who are, who are in impoverished places. God asks us to have compassion on, on all the people of the world. And so they hear, hear that prophecy. They don't know exactly when it's going to take place, but they set, in, they set in place a strategy, and they strategize with one another. We need to be people who are ready to respond. And so they get ready to respond. And when the time comes, when there is, in fact, um, a famine, they take 
Barnabas and Paul, and they send them off to Jerusalem. And Barnabas and Paul take gifts, and we don't know if it's we don't know if they take grain or if they take money to buy grain that's available, but at a higher price. They take gifts with them, and they move about a thousand miles. They go to Jerusalem, and they begin to hang out in Jerusalem. They begin to be with the people of Jerusalem, to say, "We care about you. We we've heard your plight." And the Lord has already been at work preparing us to be, be a help to you. So there's a, a response to human needs. In fact, they're, it's not just timely, but they're anticipating being able to respond to the needs of others around them. The next thing we want to turn to is, if you've got your scriptures, you want to turn over to Acts 13, because the story changes just a little bit. In chapter 12, it's got a little different focus. But then in 13, it picks back up in the story of Antioch. And it says this here. Among the prophets and teachers of the church in Antioch of Syria were Barnabas and Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod, Antipas, and Saul. Um, before you go, just I want to come back. Can you put that slide back up? There we go. Um, here's the kind of the culture that was in place in Antioch of creating a leadership group of people. Do you see all the people that are listed? You get Barnabas and Saul are on the you know, front and back side of that list right there. But then you've got Simeon, who's from North Africa. In fact, maybe Simeon who carried, helped Jesus carry the cross. And then you get Lucius from Cyrene, who's, who's got a whole different culture altogether. Comes from an island. And then you've got Mannion, who most likely grew up as a slave a companion of, of King Herod, lives in a totally different kind of culture and life. And yet in Antioch, they all find a place. They all come together. They've got trem- tremendously uh, varied backgrounds. Their stories aren't the same at all. And yet they find out who Jesus is and what Jesus is, that Jesus is at work in their own life. And they begin to rally around the person of Christ. And God begins to raise them up. Uh, so that they can not only be present in, in, in Antioch and present in the church, but that they can become leaders. They begin to be people of influence. So let's go on to the, the last part of this text. So one day, <clears throat> as these people were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for a special work which I've called them to. We started... Uh, by noting the characteristics of the church in Antioch, was that they were people who were, who were led by the Spirit, and they responded to the Spirit. Well, the same thing happens at the end of this reading, at the end of the story of the church in Antioch. There are people who are fasting and praying, and the Spirit begins to lead, and the Spirit doesn't necessarily give them a whole bunch of answers about what's going to be next, except the Spirit asks them to set aside Barnabas and Paul for a new work, something out in the future. And so they're, they're, they do it. They go, okay, the Spirit's asked us to do this. We're going to respond. We're going to be faithful. We don't know what is exactly next, but we want to follow. And so they do that. So these are the, the last characteristic is the Spirit led and the people follow. Well, as we think about these characteristics, go ahead and leave those up there just for a second. We have to begin to ask the question, right? If 
the scriptures are supposed to, in the one hand, work as a window where we get to see into what God is doing, and yet they also serve as a mirror to say, how do these things get reflected in, in your life, in my life? How are these things reflected in us as a, as a church, Schweitzer? How are these things reflected in, in us, in our lives personally, as we seek to follow after Christ? Um, are we people who are being led by the Spirit and following after Jesus? Are we people where there's a culture of developing leaders? Are we teaching the faith here? Is there a timely response to human needs? Uh, Is the Spirit leading us to things that we don't quite yet see? Well, uh, as we've looked at this passage, as we, as um, Pastor Bob and I, we've spent spent the last couple weeks just sort of reflecting on this scripture. We think that there are some places where we see these characteristics reflective of of who we are, and yet we also want to put out before us this reality that we can't just rest on our laurels, right? We can't just rest on what's been, but we have to think that, that there's a call, there's a call that rests, that comes to each and every one of us and rests upon us to have these characteristics being fleshed out on into the future. And so um, over the next couple minutes, we want to think about how these characteristics are reflected here but yet also what the Lord may be calling us to into the future. So how about the first characteristic we identified in Antioch, the characteristic of being spirit-led and people following. Over the last uh, couple weeks, I've heard a story about Schweitzer that goes back to 2008. And and you know, as you you think about this campus, can we put the picture of the campus up? Um, Going all the way back to where... We call it the Fellowship Center now, but it was the original chapel. It was built on this building. You know, there were people way back in the 1950s who began to think that the Lord wanted to do something in this neighborhood, this neighborhood of, of Oak Grove and this developing neighborhood. And so they began to meet together, and, and God just sort of began to do a work. And so you see here what's, what the campus looked like around 2008, except for the fact that there were cars all over this place. Do you, do you realize that? That this was a car dealership in 2008. And in 2008, they began to ask a question. They began to say, God, do you want us to be a church that stays in this spot, in this physical place? Do you want us to be a people who are grounded here? Or would you want us to think about moving this church, this gathering spot to a different location? And they f- did just like what, church in Antioch did. They fasted and prayed. They asked the question. And the Lord at that moment said, you know what? I want you to stay put. I want you to stay here. And in fact, uh, they had the vision then to take what's what we view as the outreach center. We call it the outreach center and turn it from being a car dealership into a place where that would be devoted to ministry. Um, and as you think about how people listen to what God was wanting to do, I, I begin to think about how influential the Spirit's leading is for what's, what's beginning and, and is already developed in this place. Because we sit right now at a crux where you see all kinds of business happening around this campus, right? And new businesses are beginning to take shape, and yet there's all kinds of, of people in our community that we're touching and that we need to touch with the message of who Jesus is. Um, the Spirit led and people followed. They made, 
They made decisions, even in the time of 2008, 2009, 2010, that most other people would not have made. They made some crucial decisions. And that's what it's like um, to go out on a limb and to have faith, is to make crucial decisions, realizing that the Spirit leads. Uh, the next thing I want to look at is a culture of developing leaders. Um, there is, we hope to see, we see it in a few different ways, that there, there's a place here for all of us to be developed as people and to be developed as, as uh, people who follow after Christ, not only in a sense of what we believe, but then in how we live and how we act. One of the, one of the things I was told recently by my daughter was a story about how um, kids who are in the Discover ministry, and that's at 940, <clears throat> um, they meet at 940 over in the other building, they get to meet together and have a class and learn about Jesus. And then at 11 o'clock, a number of those kids go down the hallway to the kids' worship room. And they help lead and mentor other kids, first through fourth graders, in, in their sense of worshiping of God. Now, I have a, I've got a couple of girls, and my oldest girl, Erevis, is in the, um, she's part of the Discover group. And she was asked, and she was thrilled to be called a mentor, a leader in the kids' worship area. Except she's, um, well, she has my ge- genetic and, and, and uh, for height. She's not, very, she's not very tall. And she's with a group of first graders. And she said, all of these first grade boys are at least a couple inches taller than she is. And so there was this moment a few weeks ago where, where they were supposed to gather around and have a group discussion. And one of the boys said to her, he said, you can't be our leader because you're just a kid, right? Like you're not, in, in reality, what he's really saying is you're not tall enough to be our leader. To be a leader, you've got to be tall. And as I've thought about that story, I'm like, that's, that is typical of, of, of a question that everybody in leadership faces. And the question isn't about height, but it's a question about what makes you an authentic leader? What qualifies you? And for that first grade boy, height was the qualifying factor. You had to be taller than him to really be a leader. And I said to Erebus, I said, so, so what did you say? She said, well, um, uh, our, in fact, our leader may be over there, our teacher may be over there, but I've been asked to lead this discussion, so let's all gather on this mat and let's have a discussion. And I'm like, you go, girl. Uh, you just, you go and you lead. And, and I th- rejoice in that story because here, here's a picture of a, of a culture, of a church, um, engaging people and teaching people, but not just engaging and teaching, but saying, you know what? God's placed skills and abilities within each and every one of us. And you can be a leader. Even if you're a fifth grader or a sixth grader, you can be a leader. You can be a leader to others. And all of us here, um, the Lord has some place where he wants us to lead. It might be on this campus, but it might be in an off-campus venue. The Lord has some place where he wants us to lead. And so one of the things that we just want to see at work in this place is a culture where people are built up in their leadership capacity, and they feel confident, and they have a tremendous sense of humility and and a servant's heart in leading. (coughs) Excuse me. So the next, um, the next role beyond 
developing cultural, uh, uh, a cultural developing leaders is a commitment to teaching the faith. So we, um, we really, if you, if you were to describe Schweitzer, I'm going to guess that you might talk to other people outside this place about a lot of the activities that go on here. In fact, when I hear about other people talking about Schweitzer, some of the things they talk about is like the great preschool we have at Grow to Know, where they talk about our missional aspect, and they talk about our food pantry, or they talk about our garden, the people who are outside of here. But you know, friends, those things don't take place. Those things don't have the life of the Spirit that they need to have unless we are people who teach the faith and people who learn and grow in the faith. All of us need to be in some place challenged by others, listening to the story of how the Spirit's at work with other people because unless we, we open ourselves up to the depth and the, the breadth of who Jesus is, We'll engage in activity that may be good and may be great, but at some point, we're going to miss the mark because we need to have the eyes and the presence and the, we need to have the words of Christ flowing into the midst of our hearts because if we don't, we'll lose sight of the vision of what God wants to do, not only in, in the world, but in us and in this place. And so uh, we put that picture of a classroom. There's, there's all kinds of classes, all kinds of things that you can be a part of here. And if you're not a part of a class or a group, I'd encourage you to, to join something, even jump into something, even if, if it's ongoing. But all of us need to have somebody who's teaching and sharing the faith with us. Um, you, know, you might think that, that pastors don't have to have something like that, but even pastors have to have a place where we gather with other people. We hear the stories, the active stories of what Jesus is doing. And we have that present within us. Um, next thing we want to look at is this idea of being having a timely response to human needs. And I am going to invite Abby Quick to come and join me right now. There you go. Step on up here. Um, Tim Smith and the Youth Ministry had a series back at the end of the end of last year. Do you remember the name of the series? Uh, go ahead and you put that mic right up to your, there you go. I don't remember Do you, it. I don't remember the name of the series either. Is Empowered Tim in to here? Love. What's that? Empowered to Love. Empowered to Love. That's right. Empowered to Love. And so in that Empowered to Love series, they really focused on this idea that, that we are empowered. God gives us the capacity to love people. And so Abby and your small group, uh, tell us a little bit about what you do. We're seeing pictures on the side, but tell us a little bit about what you did on a cold night in December. Um, so for our small group activity or project, we decided to collect books and blankets and bears to donate to the Child Advocacy Center, which is for children that are um, coming from abused homes. And why did you, or what was the motivating factor that said, we, we'd like to to take this on and to go to the Child Advocacy Center and take books and bears and other stuffed animals. What was the, what was the motivating factor out of all that? Um, I had some like prior knowledge to it. And so a lot of our ideas when we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do had to do with children. And so we figured that 
um, since these kids weren't necessarily coming from the best situations and it being so close to Christmas time that um, this would just be a good project. Do you remember, did, uh, and I know Bud Myers, who, who went with you, mm-hmm. came back and he talked about how many kids go through the Child Advocacy Center a year. Do you remember that number? No, no. I don't. So it, it's, a, it's a lot of kids who go through the Child Advocacy Center. Mm-hmm. But each kid who goes through, they're given a... A book and a bear. Yeah, a book and a bear. And it serves people who, who are, well, as up to eight, 18 years of age, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so after you went and you dropped all those things off and you had your experience there, what have, what have been some of your thoughts, what are your takeaways after having that visit, after encountering that place and seeing where people have um, some really big needs reflected in their life? Um, I think I like noticed how much like in my everyday life I might take for granted and like not necessarily like appreciate to the full capacity that I should. And it just showed me a greater sense of like awareness for what the community, like the community. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, Abby. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Abby, by the way, I, I, I told you this the other day when you were in my office, but I was in the group when they, when they had to negotiate the kind of place they were going to go and the kind of service they were going to enter into. And, um, there's some really strong leaders in the group that Abby was in. And I, wa- I, I got the delight of watching leaders in action negotiate what they were going to do and how they were going to do it and, and how they were going to bring all that together. And I am, I'm excited about the future because it's so much fun to see young leaders in action uh, and, and to serve like you did. <clears throat> so there you've got the timely response to human needs. The last one we want to look at is the spirit leads and we follow. Um, if you look around in this place, you'll probably see, you see the alpha question mark, right? And the alpha question mark is, is this image to saying we've all got questions about the existential nature of our lives. The, the metaphysical questions like who is God and where does he come from? And sometimes um, we have those questions, we get them answered. Or, or we have a sense of having those answered, and, and we move on, we move to different places. And Alpha is a great place for people to ask those big questions. But the question mark of Alpha is a question mark that hangs over the rest of us in lots of different ways. Like, okay, we can see where God's been at work. We can recognize that God has brought us to a unique place. And there's probably a few things on the horizon, both personally and corporately as a church, that we can we recognize where we may have to, to step out in faith to take some new steps. But the big question that sits over top of, of us is what, what new word or fresh word would God say into your life and my life? Where is God drawing us to, to be people who, who drink deeply from the well of Jesus and to share deeply the living water that comes from him. What does God want to do in us and with us and through us? And quite frankly, my friends, I'm not sure I have answers for those things. I've got some intuitions, but, but I don't know that I've got answers. One of the things that I would ask you to pray with me about is uh, one of the big things, the question marks, that's not so much a question mark now, but it's just a, an answer to that question for me is... Uh, 
I was put out there back in the fall. Somebody mentioned maybe I'd write a book on, the, on Romans, the epistle that Paul wrote to the church at Romans. And you might say, well, what, what's, you know, that's, a, that's an interesting task. But the more that it was mentioned, and then I just lived with it, and now I've got to work with it. And it's, it's a labor of, of love, something I've got to do to, to respond to this question mark. So I'd ask your, for your prayers, but I'd also ask you, what is it that God has in mind for you? What's the question mark over your life? What's the next step? Back in, um, I don't know if it was 1950s or 1960s, there was a guy that began asking that question. He said, Lord, I'm, just, I'm here for your spirit to lead and guide me. His name was John Wimber. And the Lord did an amazing work in his life and through his life. Uh, a number of churches were planted all over Southern California and they've begun to spread. But Wimber had a way of describing his life that went something like this. He said, I'm change in the Lord's pocket. And he can spend me any way he wants. When we think about the, the arc of the Apostle Paul's life, we recognize that he, he encountered Christ and he heard Christ and he had this sense of, of a calling. And yet, for many years, he was in the desert. I think in some sense, he came to this conclusion. So you know what? <clears throat> I may have this idea of a calling, but I've got to let the Lord spend me any way he wants. And when the time was right, Barnabas left Antioch because there was a lot of stuff going on. And he said, Paul, I think the Lord wants to spend you in Antioch for a season. And so Paul came to that place. And he began to share. In the sense, the prism for his life, the focus, his life began to take on a new focus. Friends, um, I don't know if you're out in the wilderness in the desert right now in your life. But I know this much. Wherever you're at, God is present. Whether you're in the wilderness or in Antioch, God is always active and he's doing things. And he has this invitation to us to be willing to be like some change in his pocket, to learn and to grow, and to be spent by him. Let's pray, and then we're going to go back into a time of worship and, and communion. Kind Father, we give thanks for the life of Paul, for his story and for how his story gets reflected in us and through us. Jesus, some of us in this room, we know what it's like to be in desert places. We don't yet see what you're up to in other places. And so, if we're in a desert, we just ask that you would bring us bread and a cup like you did to Elijah when he was in a desert place. And some of us are in places like Antioch. We see what you're up to. We know your activity. And life is more than full. Would you help us rejoice that you... You are bringing life and you're leading life.
You're leading us to new places. So as we come into a time of worship, as we come into a time where we're going to encounter the, the body and the blood of Christ, would you speak a new word into us? Would you share your life with us? Would you lead us and guide us, renew us, refresh us? And would you help us to be the body and blood of Christ in this world? In the name of Jesus and with the Spirit we pray, amen. As the band leads us, as they sing and they help us sing, um, you'll find that there's communion in the back of this room, in this space. And you're welcome to make your way there as the Spirit guides you. The table's open to everyone. There's the prayer room. If, if you just need to spend some time listening to the Lord in a unique, quiet place, a place set aside, you're welcome to go to the prayer room or come to the prayer wall. Let that question, that question mark, that hung over the church of Antioch, what is the burden God wants us to bear? Hung over Paul's life, let it hang over yours. And ask the Lord to begin to speak into us afresh and new. Amen. I'm in all of you I'm in all of you